This morning I'm looking out over a sea of people wearing red poppies, and that's actually a really good thing because there are things that we as a people need to remember. There are things that, in fact, I would go so far as to say, we dare not forget. The reason that we wear poppies is one of those situations. There are things that we as a people need to remember. We need to make sure that they don't fall away from our remembrance, that we don't forget. If you go down the stairs in the back there, you can, down at the bottom of the stairs, there's a little presentation there about poppies and a cross that says, lest we forget. That we might not forget. That's why we wear these poppies. That's why we had that event, that uh, moment of silence here at the beginning. Though a hundred years have passed since the armistice that was signed at the end of the First World War, we, there are things that we were learned from that war that we must remember. There's a reason that we have red poppies. And I say that because there's actually another movement that uses white poppies, and I actually pointedly choose to wear the red poppy for a reason, because I believe that there are two things that we really, really, really need to remember when it comes to the poppy. We remember, first of all, that war is horrible. Everybody needs to remember that. The white poppies symbolize that. The red poppies symbolize that. We all need to remember that war is not a good thing. The First World War was probably the biggest surprise that uh, the Western nations had because everybody was expecting a good, simple, easy war. And then four years of horrible, horrible desolation descended over Europe that would not be uh, met again until the Second World War when we tried it all again because we're not very good at remembering things. That war really, truly is horrible. And secondly, we need to remember that because we live in a world that's filled with sinners, because we live in a world where people do things that are wrong, often with their own desires in their heads, they imagine something good and so they do horrible things to one another, there will always be sometimes a need to sacrifice for, for good things to come about. There are going to always be a need to sacrifice. Sometimes, sometimes the war is horrible, sometimes it's going to be necessary, though it's rare. And that's why the poppies are red, because we know that there needs to be a sacrifice. Our men and women in arms actually stand for a purpose. Where they are sent for just purposes, they help do the will of God to bring justice and peace to places that don't have it. And we need to remember that. We need to be reminded of them. We need to wear these poppies to remind ourselves because we tend to forget these, these two major points. And we forget them for very simple reasons. We want to. We want to, first of all, believe that while war is horrible, that maybe that there are some things that aren't quite so bad, that it isn't quite so bad anymore. We can fight wars with drones now, and we don't have to do, war isn't really all that horrible. We'd like to imagine that so that we can do wars for selfish reasons. 
That's why we need to keep wearing poppies, so that we remember, first of all, that wars are horrible. And because we live in the 21st century Western world where, honestly, things are pretty darn good here. I mean, I, I live in a nice house. The chances are good. I don't expect anybody to knock on my door anytime soon and drag me out because I disagree with them or have a difference of opinion with them. Um, I can expect that most of you will not actually face uh, um, a death squad or anything horrible like that. And because I, I know that that's not true here, I imagine that everybody is going to be nice and kind and that this will always be true. And so we are never going to have to sacrifice again for the sake of truth. We don't have to remember then that there are things that are, going, that are so bad that sometime you're going to need to have to stand up against them and possibly lay down your life for them. We don't want to remember that because it's not a good thing to have to remember. But we need to remember it. That's why we wear poppies. That's why we have a moment of silence at 11 a.m. on the 11th day of the 11th month. We remember. Because there are some things we dare not forget. Unfortunately, there are things that are even more important that we dare not forget. That unfortunately... We often do. And that's the situation we find ourselves in when we get to the fourth chapter of Hosea. Remember the first three chapters of Hosea, and I need to stress what I talked to you about for the first three chapters, because this context is insanely, exceedingly important. God loves his people. Again, make sure you're tracking with me here. God loves his people. And God's love is not a minor love. It's not a love that's uh, overwhelmed by the evils of the world or overwhelmed by the things that, like I said, we need to remember. It's not overwhelmed by your sin. In fact, God's love is so strong that he overwhelmed your sin with his love on the cross through Jesus Christ. And I want to stipulate to that because I don't want to have to go back through the last four sermons I did in Hosea 1-3. to But God loves his people. Friends, if you are in Christ, you are God's people and he loves you. That is settled. There is nothing you need to add. There is nothing you can do to separate yourself from God. Is uh, height nor depth nor things present nor things past. Nothing comes in the way of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are in Christ, you are loved. And that's important because love requires something more. Love deals with the truth. And the truth is, God's love needs to be omnipotent because we are not always all that loving. We are not always that lovable. And that's the situation we find ourselves in Hosea chapter 4. But God, loving the people Israel, setting that aside, spending three chapters doing that strange little picture through Hosea and his wife Gomer to tell us, to show us clearly that his love isn't fickle, that it isn't going to run away. He needs now to deal 
with the truth, the truth of where the people of Israel are. And it's not pretty. The Lord begins, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. On the negative side, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. And because of that, following on from the fact that there is None of that, no knowledge of God, no faithfulness or steadfast love. Instead, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You see a people who have walked away from God over time. We'll find out why in a few moments, but for the moment, be clear. They don't have faithfulness. They don't have the steadfast love. They don't see God. And because they don't see God, the good things in the land are being replaced by evil things. You see, failing to have the good gifts of God, failing to stand in God, failing to have the benefits of love and acceptance and those things that the fruit of the Spirit are, doesn't just stay neutral. If you don't have those things in your life, because we're sinners, because we, we have the background of, our, of Adam, our father, things go really, really bad. Things get really dark really fast. And we see that here. That's why there's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. Why they break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And, that, and none of these things are personal. And again, this is important too because we like to believe that all, all of these things, you know, when, we, when I'm not right with God, well, that's just between me and God. Yeah, no. It's actually between God, you and everyone else too. As you are no longer in Christ, in God, as you no longer seek after God, as God's spirit no longer works through you, no longer has love through you, you start to treat each other badly. We all do. When I am not close to God, I find myself treating other people poorly. And because of that, if that keeps going, if that isn't checked somewhere, it just gets worse and worse and worse. You see, sin is not a minor problem. Sin is not just those minor things that you do. Sin is a power in us, a power that corrupts us, that moves us away from God, and that turns the things that are good, that are created good, that are given to us, and turns them towards evil. And there, so it's important to face this. That's why God is, through his prophet Hosea, saying to the people of Israel, you need to look at this. Friends, it's not as good as you think it is. And it's interesting that, that, that Hosea is saying this at this time, because at the period that you're in, when Hosea is probably writing this, we're talking about a time when Israel, though not at its apex, a lot of Israelites are going to say, yeah, we're doing pretty good. 
We're, we're okay. You know, the other empires haven't invaded us yet. You know, we've got lots of money. We're able to handle stuff. But in the undertone, Hosea is seeing that there's actually evil going on, that people are doing horrible things to one another, even though it's being kind of papered over by their riches and wealth. But why? Why is there no knowledge of God in the land? This is the people of Israel. I mean, they, they got the Ten Commandments. You remember those? They've got the five books of the Torah. They've got the law before them. They've got an entire class of people whose only job is to remind everybody else of who God is. And yet, there is no knowledge of God in the land. There's an entire class of people whose job it is to tell the people of Israel about what it is to love the Lord their God, of what kind of steadfast love there needs to be among his people. Why then is Hosea pointing to Israel and saying, there is no knowledge of God here, there is no steadfast love, there is no faithfulness. Why can he, and he's saying it accurately, it's in, our, it's in the word of God. Why? Verses 7 and 8. Just skip down there. Or sorry, let's go a little bit before that. Verse 4, start there. Yet no one, let no one contend, let no one accuse. For you, for with you is my contention, O priest. You see, the priest's actual job was to be that class of people. They were a priesthood. Their job was to tell people about who God is, to, through the sacrificial system, remind people of God's holiness and God's truth. And yet, Hosea is saying that the contention is, not, is with those very priests, that they will stumble by day and the prophet will stumble by night that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why are they destroyed for lack of knowledge? Why is there lack of knowledge? Because you, the priests, have rejected knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. They have rejected the knowledge of God. Why did they... They reject the knowledge of God? Well, it continues on. Verse 7. The more they increase, the more they sin against me, and I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. You see, what's happened here? The priests have become greedy. They've seen the things that they can get through their privileged status in, among the people around them. And because they've seen this privileged status they have, they want to keep that privileged status. And more than that, they want to accent that privileged status. And in accenting that privileged status, they don't want to remember all of the things that would require them to, well, not remember, to be humble, to seek after their people's good, to help them out. They want all the benefits of being a priest, 
and none of the detriments. They want the people to be okay with sin because they get benefit from their sin. This is an interesting point. You see, this is, what's happening here is not that the people, that the priests have just forgotten God as if they got hit over the head and got amnesia over who God is. It's much more insidious than that. Again, going back to the point of sin, sin didn't just, doesn't just cause us to act, change our actions. It changes the way we think. See, what had happened is the, the priests had decided to start embracing sin. They thought that the sin was a minor thing, and so they just, you know, not really deal with the sin. It probably started minor. And because they didn't want to see the sin, they were downplaying their own sinfulness, they started to reread the law of God. They started to accent the parts that benefited them and downplay the parts that didn't. When they read their Bibles, when they read the Torah, they would remember all the things about the amounts you need to give to your priest and you know the, the benefits that you need to give them but they would forget about the needs to give to the poor. They would remember all of the needs to make sure that you keep up your debts against the people, against the people but forget all the places where there's the year of Jubilee that's supposed to give everything back to the people who originally had it. Because they had been, become greedy, because they had embraced their sin, they had started to minutely edit the law of God. And as they minutely edited the law of God, that's what they taught the people. You know how this works, don't you? I mean, I I do. Uh, One of the worst things I ever did, worst best things, uh, back when I was in in university, I went to an Urbana student missions conference, and somebody gave me a copy of the Bible, and in the back of that Bible was a Bible reading plan. Now, I was a young Christian. I didn't quite know that, you know, that I didn't know the Christian evangelical jargon that you don't need to actually read the whole thing when it comes to the Bible, because I found out later that not every Christian has actually read their entire Bible. So I actually followed that plan, and I started to read things about what God desires of his people about what the truth of the word of God says, what God's amazing love, but also God's amazing holiness. I began to understand things in the word that honestly pointed out that I was a sinner, that there were huge parts of who I, well, I'm even going to say it, who I was, things that you know I had claimed as parts of my identity that were actually evil. You know, it's actually not a good thing to say that, you know, to focus on being an introvert and keep keeping people away from you. That's actually not a good thing. Being introvert's fine. That's just where you get your energy. But keeping people separate from you, that's actually sin. That's one of the reasons why I don't call my house the Fortress of Solitude anymore. Laugh, it, it is kind of funny that I did that for a while. But it was sin, and and because I read the Word of God and began to see the whole thing, I began to realize, wait a second, 
it's not all wine and roses. It's not all about how, you know, good I am. God isn't just saying, you know, I love you and I affirm everything about you. He's saying, I love you, therefore I can't affirm everything about you because some of the things about you are destructive. Some of the things about you are against faithfulness and, and, and against faithful love and against forgiveness. And unfortunately, Steve, you've got to get rid of those. And at that point, we have two possible reactions. I t- tried to take the good one, but most of us usually take the bad one, and I did too. And that is to just simply edit out the parts that we don't like and pretend that God doesn't actually say that. So yeah, we know exactly how the priests felt. We know exactly where the priests are coming from. They saw the word of God, and they realized that there are parts about it that tell them great things, and there are parts about it that are costly. I mean, it really is costly to say you're not allowed to hold things over your brother. If your brother sins against you, you don't get to hold that against them forever. You need to be a forgiving person. How often? As often as they ask you to forgive. You forgive. Period. End of, se- end of story. But you know, it feels really good to feel superior to other people, so I like holding negative things over them, the things that they've done to me. Yet the law- word of God is clear. The law of God is clear. What holiness desires is clear. I need to be a person of love and forgiveness, even when it's not comfortable. But it's easier for me to just simply ignore those parts and say God wouldn't really want me to be like that. It feels really good to have a lot of money. It's very rare that that ever happens to me. And so when it does happen to me, and it does happen to me, it's been amazing, But when it does happen to me, I forget that I've given that for a reason, that I have a responsibility to help other people with it. That that all money is actually from God. Uh, The Bible actually has a passage, you know, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of of thine own have we given thee. In Anglican churches, they have to sing that after every time they give offertory. I would like to forget that because I'd like to believe that the money is mine and that, sorry, all you other people, you have no right to it. And yet that's not what the word says. I'd like to forget that. And so in a greater desire, in the desire to be happy, in the desire to be benefited, in the desire for, in the case of the priests, greed, we edit the word of God. We edit the things that God wants us to believe and wants us to do and wants us to be and wants us to show to the world around us and change it. And for that reason, since the priests did it, the people who were supposed to be reminding people of the word of God, it meant that the people lost the knowledge of God. Which is really, really, really bad. It got so bad that the people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And in the end, both the priests and the people, they will be punished for their ways, verse 9. They will be repaid for their deeds. 
They'll eat and not be satisfied. They'll shall play the whore but not multiply. Because they've forsaken the Lord. Because they, they cherish wine and new wine and whoredom and all sorts of evil. But in the moment, pleasing sin. Because of that, their understanding has been taken away. And when your understanding is taken away, you don't see the truth. And see, and again, I want to remind you here, this is being said in a context where Hosea has already told the people of Israel, God loves you. God loves you completely. God loves you implicitly. God loves you with a love you can't even fathom. A love so much stronger than the love you have any idea about. But in that context, we have to deal with the truth. You have no knowledge of God. And that's what he's saying to the people of Israel. You have no knowledge of God. And you need the knowledge of God. And so we're going to talk about that. So just to review what we see here in this admittedly difficult section of text, we see that the priests have been seduced by their own sin. Again, sin is deceitful. If you, if you give it an inch, it will take a mile or more. You can't leave it alone because it seduces you. It can often seem sweeter than anything else. It's, it's like the drug that you know is going to kill you, but you can't stop because you've come to love it. That's what sin is. And if you leave it, it will grow, and it will take over parts of your life, and it will twist things until the things that you know now as beautiful will be destroyed and the thing gifts that God has given you to bless other people will be turned to that. That's heavy, but we need to hear it. They were seduced by their own sin. And because they were seduced by sin, they began to forget and reject God for the sake of their sin. It's said that humans are worshiping creatures. We do it. That's what we do. If you worship something, you will turn your life towards it. If you worship God, you will find yourself becoming more and more holy. You'll find yourself rejoicing at the strangest things that used to bore you you'll find yourself actually reading the Word of God and enjoying it. It happens, by the way. Just in case, you know, when I read the whole Bible, I actually didn't feel bad at any point during it. I was like, wow, this is amazing stuff, even while it was convicting me, because God had done something in my life, and at that point, my affections were focused on God. They haven't been for for as much time as I've liked since but your affections will affect the way you see things. But if your affections are going to be bad affections, if you're going to accept sin as something more valuable than God, 
It will corrupt you. So be careful, friends. That little sin you imagine is just something that nobody else sees. They may not see it, but it is doing you damage now. Because if you, to to use John Owen's very pithy phrase, if you are not killing sin, it will be killing you. And so it does, and we see it here. And be careful too, because it's going to change the way you read your word. You're going to take parts of scripture that are valuable and in good life-giving and use them as weapons to beat people who disagree with you, all the while forgetting the parts that can be used against you. I don't know, does anybody here have Facebook? I don't recommend it. I'm on Facebook all the time, but you know, I I really don't recommend it because it's really depressing. I have a lot of friends who are into politics. It's one of the side effects of having gone to school for too long in fields like law and philosophy and politics. You have a lot of friends who are into politics. And American politics is insanely depressing because you've got two groups of people randomly shooting Bible verses at each other and each time ignoring the Bible verses that are getting thrown at them. So you got the conservatives throwing at you, you know, how the libs need to make sure that they, you know, uh, treat the life of the unborn well, which is true. That they need, that people need to have a love for God. True! That you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. True! But they tend to forget the ones that the libs are going to shoot back at them. You know? Be kind to the poor, accept the, accept the foreigner and the outcast. In each case, people are just using verses to bash each other while they ignore the verses that are actually designed to help them seek after holiness. And friends, we can do that too. I mean, there are churches in the city who are going to lob at us that we are not a loving church because we don't accept uh, gay people as priests or whatever, because we think that that's sin, because the Bible tells us it's sin. Well, you know, they'll say that, you know, you're not accepting the outside outcast or the sinner, and you're not being, and we need to take that. We need to be ready to deal with that. We need to be sure that in our uh, attacks on sin, we love the person who is being, who, who is in sin. I mean, let's face it, we're all in sin, so we have to love sinners. There's no other options. You can love Jesus or you can love sinners, and you should love both. So let's do that. But, and at the same time, they'll ignore parts where it says, like, for example, that that's actually sin, and that it's not loving to do that kind of thing. They'll law at us that we need to be kinder to the poor, and we do need to be kinder to the poor, but they'll forget they need to be holy. And we'll sometimes forget that we need to be kind to the poor. In each case, we need to be careful because usually we're editing the Bible because of the sins that we want to keep. And God isn't kind about that because he can't be kind about that. Because when you forget and reject God for the sake of your sin, the people and the priests in this case became evil and we would become evil. They forgot, rejected God for the sake of their sin, and therefore the people and the priests became evil. And there's, then there's one final point in that progression. 
God punishes evil. He does. Be careful, friends, if you think that your sin is not going to be punished. It will be. There are only two places in the universe that sin is dealt with. It is dealt with on the cross of Christ or it is dealt with in hell. Your choice. But all sin is paid for. This universe does arc towards justice. It does. So friends, be careful here. As we seek to be, as we allow evil to live in our lives, as we allow evil to continue in our lives, as we become evil, be careful. God punishes evil. He is a good God. He is a just God. His eyes will not behold evil for long. But I say all this because, and there are a priesthood. It was a priesthood that did this. And some of you are going to say in, in our horribly, horrible editing little ways, but Steve, Hosea is talking about priests. We're not priests, are we? Yeah, glad you asked. You've heard this, this passage before, haven't you? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's so beautiful because it says how we're accepted, how we're a people of God, how we're a priesthood. But notice what the second part of verse 9 says. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is a responsibility to being priests in the kingdom of God. There is a responsibility that we hold. And this is why I sometimes worry about us uh, when we deal with politics, because it's very easy for us as Christians to lob grenades at the people outside the church because the culture is corrupt and evil. And you know what? I agree it is. But why? Partially? It's because we haven't told them. We haven't told them about God. They don't know God very well. There is no knowledge of God among them. Why? Because the priests aren't telling them. And I don't mean that just in the way of words. I, uh, I, I, it, it is not true that Francis of Assisi did not say, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. But it does get a pretty good sentiment that, you know what? The words you speak really have to be followed up in actions. Part of the reason that the world doesn't see the holiness and goodness of God is that we're not very holy. We don't seek after him very much. And if you are, you are not like me and you are the good, holy, I'm not talking to you. You're actually, you're fine, please. Keep going. Keep being holy. Keep telling the people around you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep, keep loving your neighbors. I'm talking to the people who are like me who haven't done that very well. We need to repent, and we need to do that better. 
We need to be telling people about who God is because we were purchased at a price. We are a holy priesthood. He has set us aside as an image of his goodness and his holiness and his mercy to to people. So So what do we need to remember? Well, there's a process of redemption just as there is a process of corruption and it parallels very closely and I'll finish with this. First of all, we need to be wary of our own sin. The Bible says, why do you see this? Jesus actually said this directly. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now, again, this is one of these passages where people say this means you should never ever judge unless you're absolutely perfect. No, that's not what it says. It says... And I'll quote directly, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's actually a process here. We need to be wary of our own sin. We need to deal with our own sin. We need to not be make peace with our own sin. We need to pluck the log out of our own eye. Jesus gets more extreme in other parts of Scripture. This is what he means when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He doesn't mean that. He doesn't necessarily mean that you know physically you have to draw, uh, put a guillotine to your hand. What he means is you need to be clear about dealing with your sin. And if your sin is going to require you losing something good in your life, if you continuing with that good thing in your life will mean that you continue to sin too. Get rid of the good thing in your life because sin is not a joke. Get rid of it, kill it. And then you can see clearly to help others. We need to repent and wage war on our own sin instead of just pretending that your sin is there. We need to be clear about the sin that's in our lives. We need to look at it. We need to see it. And then we need to repent of it and wage war against it. We need to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We need to be against our own sin. Friends, we need to be against our own sin at a level that makes the way we talk about other people's sin look kind of lame. We need to be the kind of people who look at the sin in our own lives and are ruthless against it. If I need you to help me wage war against my sin, I will do it. If I need to make sure that you people think worse of me because I have to be clear about the sin I have in my life, so be it. The sin dies. That's the way we need to treat sin. It has to go. Period. Now, again, I have to repeat. The context for the entire passage is the Lord God loves you. He loves you beyond all imagining. He loves you more than your sin can ever stand in front of. But your sin's got to die. But he loves you, so you have the option to stand there and do it. 
I need to repeat that because it's very easy to fall into a kind of legalism here and start fighting your sin and imagining that you can do it in your own power, and you can't. You can do it because Christ has saved you. You can do it because you have a love of God. And I can look terrible for you because, let's face it, even if I lose all of your love, even if I lose all of the people, the respect of the people in the world, if I lose all my money, if I lose all my uh, benefits, if I lose my job, doesn't matter, I have Christ. Because I have Christ. So we need to be waging war against sin. But we need to also be careful that we don't forget. We need to be reminding ourselves of God. There are ways we've got to do that. We can remind ourselves of God through the Bible. Read your Bible. Read the whole thing. Even the parts that bore you to tears. Yes, there are very long lists in numbers that you should probably read through. They're valuable. We need to be reminded of who God is and who God how God acts. We need to think through this. We need to be reminded of God through meeting together. That's what we should do here. Friends, I don't want our church to be just a bunch of people who hang out together on Sunday morning and then just go home. I want us to be the kinds of people who remind one another of the glories of God. As it says in the word, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we would, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. So friends, be the kinds of people who encourage one another who point out that there are things more valuable than your sin and that there is a love deeper than your sin and you can have that through Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, I will keep loving you even if you admit to sins that I find personally kind of just reprehensible right now. Let's face it, you're in Christ and Christ loves you. And finally, we need to seek the... uh, Well, fourth, sorry, it's not final. I've got two more points. Seek the righteousness that comes from Christ. Again, the word it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, and this is the money verse for this, you know, seeking after righteousness in Christ, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Seek after that righteousness. Seek after Christ that he might work in you and change you and build you up. And finally, trust in the punishment that Christ bore for you on the cross. All evil is punished. And yes, most of us have found ways that we've edited our own lives and played nice with sin and in so doing have rejected God and have edited his word to try and pretend that it's not what it doesn't say what it says. Hear this, though. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us some of our trespasses, most of our trespasses, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame by triumphing over them. Friends, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. He has paid the debt entirely. Turn to him. If you don't know him this morning, if you didn't know him before this, turn to him now. He's closer than a breath. His spirit works on your heart. Turn to him now. If you are right now in the throes of sin, turn to him now. He forgives you. He paid for your sin. But friends, your sin is not pretty. He wants it dead. He will help you kill it. Seek his help in doing that. Because he loves you. He doesn't just like you. He doesn't just affirm you. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord God, again, I'm called to pray that you made these people hear a much better sermon than I preached. Lord God, I pray that we would walk the line here, that we would know the seriousness of sin, but also the all-surpassing graciousness of your Son through Jesus Christ, that though our sin might be black, that you will wash it away. Oh, friends, oh, God, let these, my friends, know you clearly, both in your love and in your justice, but especially in your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.